The first step in making smart decisions about hiring is to make sure you don't do things that you could say are not smart, okay? And sifting through huge piles of hard copy resumes based on what the post office randomly happened to deliver you on any day, not smart. Sitting around and waiting for candidates to come to you, not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton, S-E-X-T-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You are entering the Freedom Hut. It's a political hit on Kavanaugh, and it continues. The dishonest Democrats are playing out their strategy here of delay, delay, delay. We won't let them get away with it. We will hold their lies up to the fire of truth. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Well, it's definitely attempted rape. (laughs) I, I, I don't see it any other way. I think it's appalling. And I, I, I'm totally disappointed that all these people who have came, come forward to say, oh, we should hear from her. And now that she's expecting a modicum of fairness so she's not re-victimized, are now saying, well, if she doesn't want to testify, we should just go ahead. That is additional callousness from my colleagues that I am totally appalled by. When I see with what the Senate Republicans are doing today, you know, yesterday they seemed a little tentative and nervous. And today in insisting and even in a bullying manner uh, that Dr. Ford proceed with the hearing on Monday, I think they're trying to scare her. Well, I think what the Republicans doing is outrageous. Uh, They are creating a false choice. They are trying to bully her into testifying on Monday before a full FBI background check is completed. I think that she um, is the one who is taking tremendous, tremendous risk in coming forward. And I think she's saying, let me just have a fair shot at this. Don't put me in front of a bunch of men on the Judiciary Mm -hmm. Committee who have already predetermined what the outcome should be. All wrong, all lies. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. My gosh, we are being put through it, aren't we, my friends? Uh, this this entire circus around Kavanaugh just getting keeps getting more and more depraved where the Democrats are concerned. Uh, a few days ago, they were saying she has to be heard. She has to be heard. Then as of yesterday, it was Christine Blasey Ford shouldn't don't don't try to make her be heard. Which is it? Are are we all really supposed to just sit around and, and pretend that we can't tell exactly what this is? Prominent Democrats are lying to you about this. Feinstein at the top of the list. 
prominent media outlets are just degrading themselves publicly in order to try and score points here in this all-out effort to preserve abortion. That's what this is. Do not allow them to confuse it in the discussions we have of this. And they are so quick to say that Judge Kavanaugh, who is a man of impeccable reputation and record, is being shady. They run all these hit pieces on him. There are these terrible stories. He's a man. He's a human being. He has rights, too. He has the right to due process, and he has the right to defend his reputation and his honor. And we have the right to be honest in our observations of what's going on here. Democrats are lying. I think that Christine Blasey Ford is also lying because she's engaging in this process with such foresight of manipulation that she is embracing this as a political hit. Now, how much is she lying? What is she lying about specifically? We could discuss and debate that. But she's definitely not on the straight and narrow, my friends. There's no way this is all a coincidence. There's no way she hasn't been involved in the coordination of this with Democrats through her lawyers or on her own beforehand. She took a polygraph before she came forward. And this whole notion that she didn't want to come forward. What kind of BS is that? She wrote a letter to a member of Congress about a guy who's about to become a Supreme Court justice. Why would you do that if you didn't want to come forward? You know how she could have not come forward, not said anything to a senator or a member of Congress. That would have been not coming forward. There are so many false premises that are being advanced here. There are so many lies piled atop of lies. And just the complete and, and, and utter lack of ethics around all this. I mean, they are trying to destroy Kavanaugh with this, this uh, vague and highly dubious allegation. And they think that they can dictate Senate process here. They think she, she's now saying that she'll speak, but only under condition, the condition that the FBI investigate this. This isn't under FBI jurisdiction. If the FBI, if this wasn't about a Supreme Court nominee and she walked into an FBI office, they would say, thanks, but this is not our problem. The FBI has already conducted her background investigation. So now they're saying, well, she wants the background. She doesn't get to dictate the background investigation. That's not up to her. The FBI has already said that's over. We put this in the file. There you have it. It's a political question for the Senate to decide. The Senate is even willing to hear her and decide on it. And now she's saying through a lawyer. Oh, well. We're making demands about how this we're making fairness demands. Uh, uh-uh, I'm sorry, folks, focus in on this for one moment. When somebody has actually been the victim of a terrible sexual assault up to and including the most horrific kinds of rape, they have to go on the record. They have to file an official report and there are legal consequences if they are lying about it. And we expect that from people that have been through a terrible trauma Weeks ago, days ago, hours ago, in sexual assault cases. That's what the law demands. If you say that, you know, if you say that there was a terrible, you know, there was there was a rape in an alley and a, an assailant and, you know, hit somebody over the head with a hit you over the head with a brick. You'd have to file an official report and you'd have to testify 
That's how our system works. You don't get to send in an email, say, well, this guy, I can't tell you when or where he did it, um, but it's definitely this guy and ruin his life and send him to prison. But this is it. This is I'm just sending you this email. I don't want to talk about this anymore. That's the new standard of, quote, justice that the Democrats want to apply to, to Kavanaugh. They should be ashamed. Uh, my friend Andy McCarthy wrote, it's a setup on National Review. And I'm glad that people, I'm glad that there's finally some sense among conservatives of, yeah, you know what? This is time for shield tie. This is time for shoulder to shoulder, hold the line. Because this is all about politics. It's not about respecting a victim's rights. and all. No, no, that's that's all rhetoric. That's all slimy lies that Democrats like Feinstein are using here to slow down this process for obvious partisan purposes of stopping Kavanaugh from becoming an ex-Supreme Court justice. This is straight out of their playbook. Clarence Thomas, Bork, I mean, this is what they do. By the way, no no analogous situation when it comes to Republicans dealing with far-left nominees like Kagan and Sotomayor. No, we say, okay, the the, the qualifications are there. The, the president's the president. Elections have consequences. Here you go, Mr. President. Here's your new Supreme Court nominee. Democrats don't do that, though. Democrats go into fits of hysteria over Supreme Court justices because they need this, you see. They need this. Or else what happens to their project of pulling the entire country away from God and further and further to the left into a destructive abyss. They can't get enough of us to vote with them, so they get this mandated by legislators in black robes on the Supreme Court, violating what is constitutionally meant to be and replacing it with what they would like it to be. I do not believe Blasey Ford, and I think that she is lying in this process, and I don't know why everyone's so shy about saying that. She's trying to ruin a man's life. She's trying to destroy him. She's trying to ruin him in the eyes of his wife and his children. Her allegation is not credible. I do not believe that she does not remember where this happened. I do not believe that she does not remember what month, never mind day, this happened. And I do not believe that she held it to herself for over 30 years only to let it out later on when it was at maximum political advantage for the ideology that she clearly is a true believer of, which is leftism and statism and progressivism. So we'll work through some of this. But this argument of the FBI, she won't even she hasn't even gone on record yet. How can the FBI investigate based on her say so? And the Democrat Party, the media should be embarrassed about this, but they're not. They're not. And this is why I am, once again, we'll talk more about the specifics of what's happening here. She's saying she's going to testify next week now, or she's open to it. She's going to at the last minute. How can I predict that? It's not because I'm a genius. It's because I'm not an idiot. This is all about delay. This is a political hit. I remember sitting in that hearing room watching Anita Hill endure character assassination day after day from Republicans. They know that they can't attack her directly and say she's making it up. That's what they did with Anita Hill in 1991. Today, that probably wouldn't fly in a Me Too era. In the end, the all-white and all-male members of the Judiciary Committee attacked Anita Hill's credibility. And Thomas went on to be narrowly confirmed, 52 to 48. We must not repeat the mistake of the Anita Hill hearings. 
They were rushed and were a debacle. Do we want to repeat that mistake? Rushed and a debacle. See the timeline, the timeline. It's all about the timing. That's what matters here to them. Not to get to the truth. That's a dodge. That's a lie. These people are so disgusting. Folks, this is why when when they when they have all these all these uh, moments and all these pieces in the media where they say, oh, Trump lied about this and Trump lied about that. I, I don't I don't want to hear it from them. They're all a bunch of liars and they lie about important stuff. Notice how the, the narrative is Anita Hill had to endure a character assassination. She was trying to assassinate Justice Thomas's character. So this is a one way street. We, we now have a a. Uh, disparate standard of of evidence and and defending one's character when it comes to men and women that's really is is that our new form of equality this is this is insane the desperation of the media is on full display here also with some of the stories they're running i'm seeing stories about how uh and they keep popping up and kind of getting retracted or 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 they don't get you know they they get changed or uh all these little things here and there there was somebody in in their class for example who said that, yeah, she had heard about this. And then she said, oh, no, actually, sorry, I have no idea. I have no idea. Oh, oh, you mean that you were about to become a part of this and people were going to say, well, you better go and testify under oath about it and you change your mind? People want, people are very personally and ideologically invested in stopping Kavanaugh. And if they think that they can help, they will help. You know, if they think that they can join this mob, you know, when a mob gets together and engages in violence against somebody, people will run in and they just want to be a part of it. And they'll just throw in an unnecessary kick. You'll see this in videos all the time. There are people who want to run in and and just throw one little kick into the anti Kavanaugh scrum. And then when they realize, "Uh oh, that's actually not okay," or that I could get in trouble for that, they step back. But you, you see this playing out. You see the way that they are trying to uh, pile on here. I saw stories today about how the fraternity DKE, Deke is what we used to call it in Amherst. We have one in Amherst too. What a surprise. The fraternity that he belonged to was full of, I mean, it's like a bunch of prudish nerds wrote this piece at the Washington Post or wherever it was. Uh, The fraternity he belonged to was known for, you know, sexually objectifying women and a lot of drunkenness. Yeah, it's called a fraternity in the 80s. What does that have to do with anything? They've also run a story about how at elite private schools in the D.C. area at this time, you know, there were some guys who were very grabby or assaulted or whatever, mistreated up to and including criminally women. That has nothing to do with Kavanaugh. It's exactly what I said yesterday. This would be like me saying when I grew up in New York, everybody that was all over the place in the city, it was my age, were doing drugs and a lot of them were selling drugs. I wasn't doing drugs and I wasn't selling drugs. So what the heck does that have to do with me? Nothing. Nothing. But this is what they're trying to do to Kavanaugh. I I saw a piece where someone said, you know, he used to kind of like maybe sort of look at women a weird way. I mean, there's just there's nothing that they won't try because they know that they won't be held to account for it by their own side. They know that they'll be considered just. People right now who are they're, they're taking long range shots. I mean, they're throwing up. They're not even throwing up three pointers. They're throwing up half court shots here. And and no matter how dumb they look doing it, well, at least they're trying, right? Anything to take down Kavanaugh. This is this is leftism 
all hands on deck, full on Stalinist tactics to take down this Supreme Court nominee. Doesn't matter how foolish they look. Doesn't matter how stupid their arguments. I mean, the stuff they're saying, folks, I, you can't you, you can't take it seriously, but you have to because they're going to try to sneak it by. You know, they'll put out their, oh, well, you know, she, she just wants a fair process. Oh, yeah, she just wants a fair process. She's making demands through a lawyer to have the Senate do what she says on the timeline that she's demanding. And the way that everyone's talking about her, like she's been so traumatized and victimized. I mean, what what happened to her is not the most horrific thing that anybody's ever heard of. I mean, am I the only one who's going to say it? I mean, she she's out there and and she's saying that this happened to her. And I'm sitting here and I'm saying to myself, uh, I don't even think this would be criminally prosecutable at the time. But everyone's acting like she's a she's a survivor of some horrible incident. But yet, if she had said this, you know, 35 years ago, the DA would have said, do you have any proof? Do you have any evidence? I don't believe her. So why is everyone acting like she suffered this horrible thing? I, I, I don't understand. Well, I do understand because the, the politics involved here is. It's just out of control. Uh, they people have they have completely lost their minds and they will do and say anything. And they're trying to bully the Senate GOP into caving. I think this woman is part of a coordinated plot, as Andy, as Andy McCarthy's written. It's a hit. I wrote that last weekend for, for The Hill. I said, this is a political hit, straight up. Andy's writing it, too. He agrees. I think she's lying. That's right, folks. I think she's lying. I'm allowed to think that. And you know what? Based on the evidence that's been presented so far, uh, th- that's the most reasonable position. Can't remember when it happened or where it happened. But she remembers everything else. So she's so certain about this. She wants to be a hero. She thinks she can single-handedly save Roe v. Wade. That's what this is. And Democrats are, are using her for that purpose. Everything else is noise. Oh, she just now, yesterday she wasn't going to testify. Now she is going to testify. Oh, what a shock. I tweeted out earlier today. Guess what, guys? She's going to testify. And journalists are going to say, oh, what a surprise. It's not a surprise. She's trying to drag it out. She's trying to play games. You know, this this is this is like the you know, the person that's supposed to show up for a for a boxing match and you know and, and all of a sudden is taking lots of bathroom breaks beforehand and no one knows the fight's gonna happen. I mean, this is just it's so transparent, it's so obvious, and it's such a disgrace. And and everyone's acting like, oh, you know, she has a right to be believed she's a victim and uh she she claims that a, a drunk guy grabbed her 35 years ago and put his hand over her mouth and then she ran away. Um, you know, if that happened, that's bad and it's it shouldn't have happened and it, it would be a it would be a criminal assault. I don't think she'd ever be able to prove that it was actually attempted rape. By the way, I think that that would be uh, that that would not be people keep saying that that would not be provable in a court of law. And beyond that, I don't believe her. I think she's a liar. Am I the only one that's going to say that? No, but not enough people are saying it. I think she's full of it. Even the Anita Hill hearings had an investigation, an FBI investigation of her allegations in advance of the hearing. Even in Anita Hill's case, she had 22 witnesses, some of them corroborating witnesses. 
That's because she could name witnesses and it was recent and they were federal employees. They're the basics. And and this is not something that's debatable or negotiable or we only do it sometimes. No, no, no. A background check is required for all judicial nominees, especially for for the Supreme Court. So so this is Senator Gillibrand of New York, who's 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 really an imbecile Um, or, or she's just frighteningly dishonest. It's tough to know which one it is with these Democrats on Kavanaugh these days. But he's had six background checks. FBI has already come out and said, we've done the background check. Okay, we'll add this into his background check file, but that doesn't mean anything. That's how this goes. So, you know, they're playing this game, folks, where they want criminal investigative tactics applied to a background investigation that's already completed. That's not how this works. That is not how this goes. But, you know, Gillibrand, she's just trying to stir up. You know, I mean, they're making, honestly, they're making... The uh, you know modern Democrat women look really like a bunch of uh, hysterics here. You know, a b- b- bunch of people that uh, you know you, you better watch out. They get too emotional. You can't really have a political conversation with them because it just doesn't make any sense what they're saying. Keep going, play it. No, no, no. A background check is required for all judicial nominees, especially yeah, for the Supreme Court. But they cannot complete that background investigation if they don't investigate these claims. So where right okay, now? So I want to pause this for one second again. Pause this for one second because we really got to shred these stupid arguments, folks. So now the standard that the left and and Gillibrand and others are adopting is that an anonymous or not I shouldn't say anonymous. Pardon me. An accusation uh, that is held the last minute of a hearing that does not have to show up or be under oath can be used to stop the hearing. Well, well, that that now means that anybody anywhere across the country be like, yeah, that's right. I, I think I think Kavanaugh cheated on his taxes. Well, I've made an accusation. You know, I have reason to believe Kavanaugh cheated on his taxes. Are you going to say that under oath? No, no, no. But that's a crime. Go investigate it. Go investigate that crime. Until you investigated it, this is not a this is not a background check that can be completed. Think about what that means. They're giving any activist lunatic essentially veto power over Senate proceedings. This is crazy. It's completely crazy. And the fact that they point to Anita Hill, like somehow, first of all, Clarence Thomas was voted into the Supreme Court anyway, and Anita Hill was a liar. So like, well, why, why are they pointing to this? Like this is some kind of a victory. This is the template for them. Yes, the dirty tricks template. This is not some crowning achievement they should be proud of, but they are because they're gross. Keep playing it, John. Complete background investigation by the FBI. So she is not asking for extraordinary measures. She's asking hold, for basic. Hold on a second. Fair- Wait, let me, I'm sorry. I know I keep jumping in here. She is asking for extraordinary measures. She's demanding an investigation of the FBI that the FBI said they won't do. And now you had people today, you had pundits and journalists saying, well, the president should intervene. Oh, I'm sorry. So the president on Russia can't say anything or he's obstructing justice and should go to like prison for that. But on this one, he should overrule the FBI and say, no, you have to look into this. How could they look even look into this? This is so stupid. This whole thing is so idiotic. I mean, Gillibrand is sounding like a total moron, but the leftists and the, you know, the, the womenists and all the rest of them, they love it. They love it. Keep playing it. No, no, no. A background check is required no, no, no. for all judicial nominees, especially for the Supreme Court, for extraordinary measures. She's asking for basic fairness. This is about basic fairness. And I do hope the American people, I do hope every woman in America is paying very close attention to what is happening in this body, in the U.S. Senate today. 
This is not 1991, and how dare them not even afford the basic courtesies that were afforded then. They're giving her an option. The option is show up Monday or don't show up at all. I, I consider that to be bullying. I consider that to be disregarding. I consider that to be something set up for failure. They would like a he said, she said scenario. Because you know what happens in those scenarios? The men are typically believed. Because you see That's those not true. Choose That's through not your true. own lens. Why I mean, not look, having... oh, pause, pause for a second. What, well, when, tell me one he said, uh, he said, she said scenario where, the, the, where, where it was high level and big politics involved where, where, where the man was, oh, wait, I'm sorry, Bill Clinton? Oh, no, that's not even correct. Everyone knew that he was a disgusting piece of trash. They just didn't care. The, the women were believable and were believed. People just didn't care. Uh, th- this is just, uh, she is completely uh, living in an alternate reality here. How could it not be a he said, she said situation? How could we not be in the midst of something like that? When when you look at this situation, when you look at what's going on here, there are other people that, you know, that they that the Senate could have approached that are apparently named the Democrats know about. By the way, my guess is they're going to drop the additional names that were allegedly at this party over the weekend. That's what they're they're going to they're going to release a little more information. I think it's false information, but they're going to release a little bit more just to add to the, you know, the the ability they have to try. And this is all about delay. This is just a giant delay tactic. That's all it is. And this is a delay in the hope that they win the Senate. That's it. They may actually, in a sense here, there's the way that this backfires politically is that Republicans realize that they're they are straight up trying. This is stealing a Supreme Court seat. This is cheating. McConnell didn't cheat. He just didn't hold the vote. He's a Senate was in the rules. This is cheating because this involves lying and subterfuge and uh, breaking rules, going outside rules and being dishonest. Nothing about nothing dishonest about McConnell not voting on Merrick Garland. Nothing dishonest about that at all. He just said, we're not going to do it. That was it. (laughs) There was no no games. It was just this is this is the game. Uh, But anyway, play the rest of Gillibrand's idiocy have the corroborating witnesses what are they afraid of why not have the therapist come in her husband come in her friend come in why not have mark judge testify under oath to the fbi and then in front of the committee what are they afraid of ask the question what are they afraid of what is this white house afraid of what is this president afraid of what is the u.s senate afraid of what are the republican members of the judiciary what is the u.s senate afraid of what is what is the american american people afraid of what is the planet Earth afraid of? Does she think she's in an Aaron Sorkin show? Like, what is this crap? What a clown. We've had one person testify under oath about this, and that's Kavanaugh. And he said flatly and completely it is not true. And, and everything, everything that Christine Blasey Ford has done up to this point has been perfectly in line with what you would orchestrate if you were engaged in a politically motivated campaign of smear and delay, everything about it, without exception. And the left wants us to believe that it's a coincidence. In fact, they want us to believe that this is uh, something that, you know, has just sort of just sort of all come together this way. I I was surprised to hear who was this? Um, Tammy Bruce. Uh, say that she doesn't think that Ford knew about what's going on. I mean, look, I, I just disagree with this, but pl- play clip four. 
The fact is, uh, Dr. Ford and the Democrats have been in complete control of the timing from the beginning, haven't they? Okay, yes, Starting correct. with when she decided to reach out to Anna Eshoo and then to Feinstein and the Washington Post hotline. So they've been in control of the timeline. So this argument that she is being bullied and into this rush of a hearing is absurd. And I would, I would posit uh, that, in fact, she has been misled, that Dr. Ford is, in fact, perhaps not in charge of any of this at all. I think she was likely promised something that she wouldn't have to testify. I think Dianne Feinstein thought the accusation alone would knock this nomination off of its seat. And that's what they expected. And she's finding, the doctor is finding, and we're all finding, that they were wrong. And now you know what they're doing? They're infantilizing her. And they are re-victimizing her by saying she's emotionally not prepared. She's being bullied. She, she can't do it. Uh, she's afraid. Uh, and the repeated comments about attempted rape an assault. This woman now, after dealing with this and creating a very strong life, top of her field, a family, a strong woman, uh, is now is being re-victimized by this entire framework of rhetoric. Yeah, and see, I, I agree with the beginning of what, of what Tammy Bruce least. said. There. All right, enough, enough of Tammy Bruce. I agree with the beginning there, and then the Democrats have been in control at every stage of this. But I don't think that. First of all, I, I don't. I, I don't believe that what this woman is saying is true. So the notion of her being re-victimized, I find. I find that it has not yet been proven to me she has been victimized at all, at all, ever. I do not believe that she has been victimized. I'm, I'm open to contrary, you know, to evidence to the contrary, but I do not believe it. But but then also that, you know, and this is where there's disagreement. I understand. And maybe maybe uh, Ms. Bruce is correct on this one and I'm off. But I don't think that Ford is some babe in the woods here who had no idea what was going on. Uh, pardon the term there. But, you know, I don't think that she was some naive uh, person who had no idea what the situation was. I, I, I'm willing. To, I think that there was behind the scenes collusion here. I think that you know she put this letter out there, and then she probably spoke to Democrats. All it takes is phone calls, folks, between her and Feinstein. I mean, there's no, no one's going to know, right? Feinstein was going to keep a confidence with her. They probably talked about it, and this was all planned. I believe this was all planned. Her choice of lawyer, her polygraph ahead of time. She wasn't pulled into this. She's not a victim. Let's just. Push that aside. She has not proven in any way that she has been victimized in the process or that she was victimized 35 years ago. She has alleged it. That is a different thing and should be treated differently. You know, the, we, we, we cannot be bullied into the uh, elimination of due process and, quite honestly, rule of law that comes with, well, you know, she has a right to be believed. No, bull. Nobody has a right to be believed. You have a right to present evidence to be believed. If you want consequences for another person, you don't just get to say it. And everyone goes, yeah, that's right. That's true. It's just preposterous. It really is. Oh, man. I'm, I'm just, just, just ticks me off. Um, and, and here we are, you know, getting all these lectures from people about how, you know, this, this like shows the patriarchy and this, that's just all, all nonsense. The media's, Efforts to try and come up with some way to tarnish Kavanaugh are are really showing a, a diseased mind that they all share on this issue. I mean, they have lost it. They have utterly lost it. And here's the latest. They're suggesting now that Kavanaugh, no matter what, should be removed from his current position as a judge. Stay with me for that. I'm amazed at this whole thing. Number one, 
Everybody's calling for an investigation. An investigation of what? There is no predicate offense for the federal government in the form of the FBI to conduct any investigation. An investigation, of, if there was a rape or a sexual assault, should have been done by local authorities, and everybody knows that the statute of limitations has run on that now. Number That's, that's number one. Number two, background investigations, it's over, it's done. What they're trying to do is put the, the FBI in a jackpot. It's a no-win situation for the Bureau. All they're trying to do is delay the vote and do it any way they possibly can. It's a former FBI director there, Bill Gavin. It's absolutely true. There's, no, there's nothing to investigate. There, there's, there's no way they could even investigate this uh, based on the information that's been released so far. Now, as I told you, I, I suspect... By the way, she, I think she is going to end up testifying, and I think that she is going... And this weekend, there's going to be more information leaked to the press, maybe tomorrow, to sort of build it up over the weekend about you know who else was there, and you know, they're just going to try to... They're, folks, they are all in on this. I mean, this is... They are hitting the red button on the nuke here, politically speaking. They'll, they'll do anything to stop Kavanaugh from getting on, on the court, uh, and which I would note, I was going to say this before, just be aware, we should all be aware of, of the very real concern here um, that people have been so frenzied in this and are so being so immoral in the way they discuss it and, and in the way that the Democrats and the media are approaching this issue that I worry, I worry here. I'll just, I'll, I'll just leave it at that for right now. I, I have real concerns about where this is going and I, I think that this is, this is going to be, if the Democrats can't stop Kavanaugh through these uh, disgraceful shenanigans, I just want to make sure the federal government is keeping Judge Kavanaugh safe and his family safe because there are a lot of crazies out there right now. And people, you know, the, the political heat is beyond anything we have seen, I think, really in, in, the, in the Trump era with the possible exception right after Charlottesville. But that's where we are right now, and I have concerns about this. Uh, but here, here, here's where the, the liberal mind is right now. I mean, and they, they have lost it, okay? They have lost it. They're writing pieces already, the case for impeaching Kavanaugh, and they're saying that if the Democrats win the House this fall, they can investigate charges against him. Um, and what they're claiming here is that even if he gets on the Supreme Court, they should try to remove him from the court. That's right, folks. They want to they, now. They're now they're going with their ultimate ultimate option of well, we'll find some way to just remove him from the court for for this based on this. That's right. Um, here's the, what the piece says: Impeachment proceedings in the House are investigative in nature and come with a full panoply of quasi judicial powers, including aids to investigation, such as the power to subpoena witnesses to compel them to appear and testify. Uh, if a simple majority of the House decided to proceed with impeachment of Kavanaugh, the House Judiciary Committee would be empowered to conduct a thorough and careful investigation of the sexual misconduct allegations that Christine Blase Ford has made against Mr. Kavanaugh involving a drunken sexual assault when both were high school students in suburban Washington, D.C. Are these people completely insane? They think that the House should spend time the house of representatives should spend time investigating a 35 year old what exactly that he allegedly grabbed her for a moment and then she ran away 
I mean, folks, like, you know, he's not the Boston Strangler, uh, even based on her, her allegation. The House of Representatives is going to investigate this and then they're going to remove him from office. These people have lost their minds. I, I don't know what else to say. We're, we're, I'm not having a rational exchange with them anymore. There's not a rational discussion to be had with them when they're taking positions like this. You're going to you're going to remove this guy. You're going to you're going to take him away from take his judgeship away for an unproven, unprovable in a criminal court crime, right? It's past the statute of limitations. It cannot be, it will never be adjudicated in a court. But you're just going to try to have a court of public opinion thing and you're going to remove him from office on what happened 35 years ago? These people would really be comfortable in you know the, the, the show trials of the Soviet Union. I mean, the, the modern Democrat Party, when, when Roe v. Wade and abortion on demand is at stake, turn into a bunch of little Stalinites And we're going to have more on this in just a moment. You know what's not smart? Waiting around for resumes to come into you. You know what's really not smart? Spending a ton of time and not finding great candidates for the job that you need to fill. But if you want to go with a smart way to hire, go with ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It has a powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter totally free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. I've got an account, folks, and I have colleagues that we have hired through ZipRecruiter. Try it for yourself because ZipRecruiter is simply the smartest way to hire. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. They've given her an opportunity to testify after this horrendous process, which Senator Feinstein has foisted on the Senate and the American people in a complete abrogation of senatorial responsibility. This is one of the great shameful moments in the history of the Senate, and she should be ashamed of herself. And so should every Democrat on that committee, not just because what they're doing to Judge Kavanaugh, but because of what they're doing to the Constitution. The Democrats care about one thing, power. That's what this is about. And they are trying to delay a vote on this nomination so that it does not occur. And the Republicans must not let that happen, because if they do not confirm Judge Kavanaugh, they will lose the Senate. Joe DeGeneva there, folks. I I think he is absolutely correct. I, I, I agree with all of that. I got uh, somebody joining me now who also has some very important thoughts to share on what's going on. The farce that has been the uh, Democrat hit on uh, Kavanaugh to this point. We've got uh, Sarab Amari with us now. He's a senior writer at Commentary. He's got a piece up in the New York Post today. The drive to sink Kavanaugh is liberal totalitarianism. Sarab, great to have you on. Thanks, Buck. Good to be here. All right, man, I just want you to make the case. I saw this headline. I'm like, well, somebody gets it. So how, how is it liberal totalitarianism? Tell me about this. Well, but the totalitarianism doesn't necessarily require the cartoonish 
things we associate with 1984 and Big Brother and so forth. The classic definition of totalitarianism is a society where everything from arts and culture to moral norms to uh, just basic human relationships and feelings, everything is subject to political ideology. And that's frankly how it characterized much of the liberal left today in the U.S. and across the West. And this particular case is a prime example of it. Um, you, you're seeing political abuses that we normally associate with deeply closed societies uh, like China, you know, um, and not with, with a free society. Um, the idea, first of all, starting with how Senator Feinstein went about uh, starting this process, instead of sharing the allegation with her uh, uh, with the nominee and giving him an opportunity to respond or sharing it with, with her colleagues to, le to release this statement without offering any details on Thursday, this cryptic statement where it's like the, the commissariat knows you did something, Mr. Kavanaugh, but we won't say what it is and you can't defend yourself. That is a totalitarian attitude. It doesn't mean that we live in a, necessarily a totalitarian state, but at the attitude, the behavior is not the behavior of a, of a public servant in a free society. I have to say, I find it very troubling that some very prominent Democrats, including uh, sitting U.S. senators, have already come out to say that they believe the accuser. Well, to say that you believe the accuser is to say that you believe that the accused is guilty. I mean, to me, this is such a, a fundamental abrogation of uh, any sense of innocent until proven guilty. I mean, it's it's really uh, staggering, Sarah. But also we know because of the political background to all of this, people who know better and there are a lot of them right now in the media who are center left or who are far left, they're being silent on this because the stakes are so high that they're willing to toss out as important a principle for American rule of law and, and freedom in general as innocent until proven guilty. I mean, to say that you believe the accuser is to say that you think that the accused is guilty without her even giving a, a formal statement. The um, interesting examples of this, just mind-boggling, uh, and I'm with you completely, that I've seen in The Atlantic magazine and elsewhere. In The Atlantic, they had a piece that received a huge amount of adulatory attention from uh, a lot of our liberal friends in the media, uh, saying, you know, this writer saying, I had an experience like this, Therefore, I believe uh, the accuser. Well, that that makes no, absolutely no sense. And as for the senators themselves, you know, you, yes, Judge Kavanaugh is a political operator. He's a judge. He's a sophisticated actor, but he's still a human being. He's still a father. He's still a husband. To take a set of uncorroborated, uninvestigated allegations and throw it at him, and then say we believe the accuser, as you said, this is this runs against every principle that we have, and we know why they're doing this. As I argue in my piece, so much of the modern leftist project hangs on the court system and the Supreme Court in particular, because they, so many of their victories, they've not won by persuading uh, the American public. They've always won them by persuading five or six unelected judges. So they're not going to, they're not going to easily give up the opportunity to continue to do that. They're, it terrifies them. In fact, that the court may shift in another direction. So, Anything is allowed. And that attitude of anything is allowed is we're seeing how it plays out. It's terrifying. Do you think that some of these uh, editorial decisions being made at places like The Atlantic, where, uh, look, it's 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 a left of center publication, uh, but there are, there are very smart people who both are editors there and write there. 
Do you think that because the, the the level of intellectual sloppiness right now, Sarab, that I'm seeing uh, is is unlike anything else that I've seen since the early days of the Trump administration, when people were saying that fascism was descending upon America, you know, based on nothing. Uh, but the the sloppiness here, do you think it is done cynically? So essentially things like, oh, demanding an investigation. Well, you can't have an investigation of any kind without the person demanding an investigation, giving a formal statement to authorities, which which has not, in fact, been done here. She has not testified under oath. Uh, anybody should know this, would know this. But I'm seeing stuff at The Atlantic and elsewhere. I just keep centering on that one. But there are others, too. I mean, The Washington Post publishing things about fraternity parties in general at Yale, as though that somehow is is proving one thing or another about what happened in, in this allegation. Are they cynical in pushing this or are they so frenzied that they've lost all objectivity? I mean, I couldn't I, 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 I'm not in there. I, I can't look into their souls to see which one it is. Even often in, in these cases is a combination of both. I think lots of people on the left have uh, totally convinced themselves um, that that they can do a process of essentially of collective guilt, because I'll give you another example where increasingly you're saying uh, pundits and writers say, you know what, even if this particular set of accusations isn't exactly true or per se true, nevertheless, you know, Judge Kavanaugh should just come out and say that he's sorry for the general atmosphere that prevailed in that high school and any role he may have played in it, which is actually they're asking him to, to make an admission of guilt for, for something that he's categorically denied. Um, again, these are, these are attitudes where Anyone who calls themselves a, uh, themselves a liberal in the classical sh- sense should find abhorrent the idea of, well, something went on generally in a given time, in a given large geographic vicinity, so he must have been somewhat responsible for it. We don't have, I, I have to tell you, guilt. I, you know, and you're, you're, you're jogging my memory here, Sarab. One of the, one of the most um, shocking moments for me in in relatively recent memory in terms of commentary on these issues from the left was actually an Ezra Klein comment. Uh, so, uh, this was a few years back, and but I remembered it very well, where his suggestion was that, I think he said this on MSNBC, with the whole campus rape culture crisis, which is a manufactured crisis. It does not actually exist the way they say it exists. One in five women are not sexually assaulted with the legal definition of sexual assault. On, that, that's just not true. But but there was this whole frenzy around this, and th- he said that even if it meant that some innocent guys would go down for sexual assaults they didn't commit, it's worth it because the problem is so bad. And to your point about totalitarianism, that that once you start going down that pathway, I mean, this is what they did in the Soviet Union. You know, even if we get some people who aren't collaborators with the enemy or who aren't traitors or who aren't undermining the revolution, it's worth it because we got to support the revolution. They've said this kind of stuff on this issue of Me Too and and sexual assault and the rest of it pretty openly. Well, and just to be clear, I mean, any kind of sexual abuse is unacceptable. Any kind of sexual violence is unacceptable. But we can't operate on the principle, as you said, of of this kind of collective guilt, you know, that there's a higher good to be served. Therefore, if, if, uh, you know, some innocent people go down as well, that's... That's absolutely wrong. And so with a case like this, once the accusation is made, Judge Kavanaugh, again, as a judge, but also as a, as a human being, a father and a husband, needs to have an opportunity to, to clear his name. And the conditions that, that 
the uh, Democrats were imposing on him just until recently, where they said there needs to be an open-ended FBI investigation, which p- potentially could take two, three years. Who knows? Looking at the Mueller probe, that means that this man can't clear his name after the kind of he's been accused of w- one of the vilest crimes, one of the worst crimes uh, known to man. That, that's not how we operate, or that's not how American society yeah, it's, it's, and our legal culture is supposed to operate. This is a standard that cannot be, this cannot be allowed to become a standard. Uh, that's, I've been saying it all week. Folks, go read uh, Sarab's column in the New York Post today that this is liberal totalitarian, totalitarianism, this drive to sink Kavanaugh. And also, I know, Sarab, you've got a book coming out, a memoir of Catholic conversion called From Fire by Water. Please do come back and uh, we'll talk about your book when it comes out, all right? Thanks, Buck. Thank you, Sarab. Team, hour two coming up. Stay with me. Team Buck, it is an honor and a privilege to bring you my thoughts on things that matter to us all as Americans every day. And your opinion matters, too. That's why I'm so excited to keep telling you about this new social media site, Snippy.com. If you're frustrated with the discourse on your social media pages and looking for an alternative take on conventional conversation, Snippy is it. Its founders have created a forum where people can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything. And on Snippy.com, you can write about what's on your mind without worrying about leftists intervening, without conversational health, without shadow banning, all the nonsense you've seen on other social media sites. None of that. No bias, no left-wing agenda, just you connecting with like-minded patriots. This is a place where discussion is valued. Go to snippy.com, totally free to join. Everything about this, posting, all the rest, it's all free right now, folks. Snippy.com, set up your free account today, and let's get the conversation started. Dear Professor Ford. Dear Professor Ford. Dear Professor Ford. We know how difficult it is to stand up to powerful people. We want to thank you for publicly sharing your story of sexual violence. As members of the Senate determine whether Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh Brett Kavanaugh should serve as a Supreme Court Justice. This context is critical. The behavior you described was wrong. Wrong. Wrong and runs directly counter to upholding the law and promoting justice. He should not be confirmed. He should not be confirmed. He should not be confirmed. We can also imagine how shocking shocking and overwhelming it must have been to have your truth shared on a national stage without your permission. You should be the decision maker about how your story is shared, if ever. We applaud your courage in coming forward for the public good. And we will be with you as you face the inevitable backlash. The inevitable backlash. The inevitable backlash. Okay, I can't. I can't take it. I can't take it anywhere. I can't take it anywhere. I give. I give. I, whatever, uncle, uncle. Oh my gosh! Oh, they got all these idiot celebrities together to do a montage on because that's what we really need. Let's hear from some actresses about what they think about Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. That's really going to tip the scales. Can I just note that everything they said was wrong? I mean, from what I could tell, everything that they had to say there was wrong. Uh, there, the, the the notion that, for example, do not confirm Kavanaugh. Wait, I thought I thought we just had to hear. I thought we were trying to get to the truth. Oh no, it just don't confirm him because they already know the truth. So do we do we believe the allegation and treat it as proven even without her giving a statement? I mean, look, I, I know that these are not these are not particularly or necessarily bright people at all that are, but they're using their celebrity to try to push this. Uh, and this this notion that that she can tell her truth the way she wants. No, actually, that's not how this works. 
She wrote a letter to a member of Congress. She wanted to interject herself into this. And by the way, I think the notion that she wanted to stay quiet is a lie. I think these people are all lying. Okay, so let's stop with this game of, oh, but, uh, but you know, she... She, she wanted to keep it quiet. You don't write it. You don't write a letter to a senator about a Supreme Court nominee with this kind of an explosive allegation unless you want this to, to, to mean something. Did, let's just be honest here for a second, folks. Did she really think that there would be any consequence if this was kept secret? Or what, what purpose does that serve? When you start to apply logic and reason to this whole situation, you just want to scream because people are being so dishonest. But they're apoplectic, folks. They... They are even more uh, pathetic and sloppy in their arguments than usual because the abortion industry, they they fear the abortion industry is uh, at risk. And that is the single most clarifying and unifying point of ideology for the American left, uh, abortion. And if they did not have a, a Supreme, a completely crap Supreme Court decision, a couple of them, actually, uh, KCV Planned Parenthood as well. But if they didn't have Roe v. Wade and the and the attendant or the follow on decisions to that, then they'd have to deal with the reality of what they've done, which is which is a a multi decade Holocaust of the unborn. Uh, and they have supported things. You know, just recently I saw that how NPR didn't want Kermit Gosnell uh, referred to as an abortion doctor because that would be inflammatory. Well, that's what the guy was doing all the time, performing abortions. So. You know, what, do we not if somebody is giving vision tests and, and dealing with eyes, do we not call them an eye doctor? I mean, what that that's what they do. Right. This guy was an abortion doctor, but they don't want that to be used. There's so many euphemisms around this discussion because people can't be honest about what's really happening. And I just I just get I go back and forth between almost wanting to laugh at the at the pathetic and and just preposterous arguments being offered by the left and also just just scream in rage. Because what they're doing is is a disgrace and it is disgusting and they should be ashamed of themselves. I know they're not, but they should be ashamed. Uh, and, and having these these idiot celebrities come out and say this, they're they're everything, folks. It's kitchen sink time. They're doing everything that they can. I will tell you, and I, and I, I don't really want to go there, but well, I'll hold back for a second. Who's the dumbest person? Who's the dumbest person? to speak out on this one. Yeah, you had like Julianne Moore and a bunch of other celebrities there who haven't really had much contact with normal Americans in a very long time. But, you know, if you want someone to make a really stupid statement about politics, it's tough to do better than Joy Behar. Play two. This is what I grew up with, that men are supposed to protect you from these predatory males. I do too. And they're not doing that. And believe me, these people in Congress right now, in that Senate Judiciary Committee, these white men, old, by the way, Mm -hmm. are not protecting women. They're protecting a man who is probably guilty. If you're not uh, Judge Kavanaugh, take the lie detector test. Prove it the way she did and the way Anita Hill did, that they were not lying. Let's see that from you. Or are you a coward? Joy Behar is the dumbest person on television. I don't know why anybody listens to her. Prove it. You mean prove it by a lie detector test? That doesn't prove anything. Otherwise, we would just give people lie detector tests and not have any court testimony. We have one person here who's given sworn testimony under oath, under penalty of perjury, saying he did not do this. This did not happen. This is a lie. That's Kavanaugh. We have another person who's playing all kinds of ridiculous games. That is Ford, the accuser. 
But why is it okay for Joy Behar to do this? All, old white men. You know, I don't like the old white men. Why? What is it? How does it add to her argument to trash people because of their age or their skin color here? You know, this the, the left is so freewheeling with this. Just bash old white men all the time as though one that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't undermine any seriousness of their argument. I think the moment you start saying, well, they're old white men, so I don't want to hear what they have to say. Uh, you shouldn't be taken seriously. You're throwing a tantrum and you're making dumb arguments. The, the, the intellectual heft uh, that, is on, that is on display right now from conservatives in smashing these arguments is really reassuring. You know, I mean, Andy McCarthy's piece, it's a setup. One of the best things he's written all year, and Andy's written some blockbuster stuff. I mean, Andy's done a phenomenal job on on disassembling the Russia collusion narrative. And, you know, I, I really I like Andy and have tremendous respect for him. He had a personal issue. Otherwise, we would have had him on the show tonight. We, we reached out to him, obviously, to talk about his column. But you look at the arguments on the left and even people who are supposed to be smart and they come off like a bunch of complete buffoons. Uh, and, and what you realize is that this is all being driven by emo- emotion. They're not they're not engaging with this on an intellectual level. They just want their way. This is a mass tantrum throwing by the left. They are threatening to hold their breath. They are pounding the ground. They, I don't want Kavanaugh. I don't want Kavanaugh. That's what this is. And that's why I think the protesters that we saw on Capitol Hill early on in this hearing were just representative of a much broader sentiment on the left. There's a lot of them out there. And they're crazy, folks. They, they really are. I mean, they, they are borderline deranged and certainly deranged on this issue of a Supreme Court nomination. This is quite lawless of the president to selectively declassify. You know, he's only putting forward to the American people what he believes helps him completely and recklessly risking sources and methods who could be put at uh, risk and have their lives uh, at risk. It's only 20 pages. All you have to do is make a copy and send it out, put it on the Internet. So there, at this point, it, it, I do not understand why this hasn't been declassified. The president said declassify immediately without redaction. The same people that are out there that are running around saying, oh, there's national security concerns with this. We're going to reveal some sources and methods happen to be the same people who are involved. They're either covering up for their agency or they are involved. And that's totally unacceptable. And this is why we have to continue to get this message out to the American people that have been force-fed this Russian Kool-Aid. This is just Russian Kool-Aid that was force-fed on the American people for two years. There you have the the two sides of this debate, folks, with uh, Devin Nunes on the right and Swalwell, Congressman Swalwell on the left. Swalwell says that it's lawless that the president wants to release this information. Swalwell's an idiot because... The president is completely within the law to do this. So how is it lawless? This would be like somebody saying the president is pardoning somebody. That's lawless. No, you moron. The laws that we have say the president can do that. So I don't know if he's just stupid or cynical. Or, you know, the arguments these days from the left on these issues, whether it's Kavanaugh uh, getting you know submarined by the left, uh, getting sh- getting ambushed by the left, or this opposition to the document release around FISA and the surveillance of Carter Page and all this other stuff, their arguments are so weak that I don't know if they're just dumb or dishonest or both or other stuff thrown in there. 
But I can't take their argument seriously. They are they are fundamentally unserious. Uh, but so Swallow says it's lawless, and then he he says that he's uh, selectively putting stuff out there. That's not true. I asked the president earlier this week, "What are you releasing? Have you seen it?" He said, "I'm releasing the I'm releasing the documents related to the Russia origin or the origins of the Russia investigation, and I have not seen them." So he doesn't even know what's in them. He's just saying, look, I want them released. And, you know, the, the left is clearly in a panic, including journalists who have been covering this for two years. Folks, think of one other area of national security uh, information that has been a huge story on the left. The, the biggest story on the left for over a year, almost two years now, where they could finally see the most important documents the government has on it. They'd say, well, we don't want to see them. I don't want to see those documents. I don't want it. It's mean. You can't because you would. Ne- it just would. It would never, ever happen. Um, uh, you know, the, the journalists. One of the great byproducts of the Trump presidency is that we will never think journalists will never be able to play the same games they did in the past. You know, people that want to believe in journalists. You know, the say these are like adults who want to believe in Santa Claus. If that they want to believe, they can. But journalists are not nonpartisan actors in this country. And Democrat-aligned journalists are activists because they lie about what they do and then they try to push an agenda. At least conservatives in the media say, yeah, I'm a conservative. Here's what I have to tell you. Here are the facts I'm basing it on. There's an, a fundamental honesty to it. But the document release, he, he, it, there was sometimes I see a, a, a thread on Twitter that just nails it. And here's one that that falls in that category. This is from a guy uh, named Undercover Huber, um, who I I can't say exactly. I don't know who this guy is, but I don't care because he makes makes a fantastic argument. This is from the Twitter account Undercover Huber today about this. This panic, oh my gosh, he's releasing the classified. What are we going to do? Everyone's going to die. It's all a lie. We've seen it's already a lie because they've tried to hold back information that when it's been released, no serious person would ever say, oh, yeah, that's really nationally security sensitive. Right. So we've already seen this in action. But here's what undercover Huber has to say about it. Collusion media and Democrats are saying that FISA and 302, which is the FBI, uh, FBI interview information, shouldn't be declassified as real Donald Trump has ordered it would because one It would expose sources and methods, and two, it would interfere with the investigation. These arguments are ridiculous. First, real Donald Trump was lawfully elected as president and is therefore head of the executive branch. He's the highest declassification authority. The FBI, DOJ, IC work for him, and he's accountable to the public. Anonymous, unaccountable leakers in the DOJ, FBI, and intelligence community are not. So let's let's go through the last year or two and see what sources and methods have already been revealed and what interference with the investigation has already happened due to illegal leaks by the same people who are opposing lawful declassification today. First, sources. FBI DOJ leakers have already leaked this info on confidential human sources merely to advance or protect a narrative, not for legitimate purposes. He writes, Milian probable confidential human source to the Washington Post on March 17th. Downer, confidential human source to the New York Times December 17th. Halper, 
confidential human source, the New York Times and Washington Post, May 18th. Note, Chuck Ross of the Daily Call reported prior to the New York Times, Washington Post, that Halper was in contact with Papadopoulos and Carter Page, but he didn't or uh, allege or confirm he was a U.S. government asset of the intelligence community. That only came from specific intentional DOJ FBI leaks of his nationality role and bio. Also, the exposure of Downer as a confidential human source is particularly egregious because it came as a defensive response to the disclosure of struck page texts, which made the FBI DOJ look bad. And much of the details were later proven false. Halper is a good example of collusion hypocrisy, too. When Devin Nunes asked legitimate oversight questions about the FBI's use of sources against the Trump team due to Stefan Halper, Benjamin Wittes Wittes could barely contain his anger. When Downer was exposed, everybody was all, yay! Number two, methods. Uh, You have U.S. surveillance capabilities on Russian Ambassador Kizilyak, a top-secret transcript of calls with General Flynn to the Washington Post on January 17th. Signals intelligence on Russians, including channels being monitored, which uh, officials intercepted, the contents of these communications, and agency doing the monitoring to the New York Times on January 17th. Exact numbers of calls, messages between Trump officials and Russians to Reuters on May 17th. It said, folks, I, I can't even go through. I mean, you could go. This guy has this all laid out. The DOJ and IC have been leaking like a sieve. On the Russia collusion investigation, people with classified access are trying to shape the public narrative through illegal and some sanctioned but backdoor leaks. And now they now we're going to get lectured and the press publishes them gleefully. As long as it supports the narrative. And now we're in a position where we're supposed to believe that, oh, my gosh, sources and methods. These people are absolutely the worst. They are liars. The people who are currently pretending that there is in any way, shape, or form a a pure national security interest in preventing this information from getting out there are lying to you. They're just not telling the truth. They don't want the American people to know what's really going on here because what are we to think of the Democrats and the Democrat the Democrat media? When it comes out that not only was Trump not colluding with Russia, but our own law enforcement, federal law enforcement agency was trying to set him up, that this was essentially entrapment for the president of the United States. And that we had bureaucrats that thought they were more important than the votes of 60 million Americans. What are we to make of that? I want us to get to the point where we're asking that question because this information is all out there. And I think we're going to be there in just a matter of weeks. The Russians are still interfering with our democracy. It's not as though they said, whew, Hillary Clinton's gone. Oh, she's not going to be president. We're all going home. No, they are trying to influence how we look at one another, how we treat each other. Uh, they're certainly, as you know, Trump's own intelligence officials have uh, stated, in our election systems. So what is the next chapter? You see, I think I was an obstacle to their plans to undermine and disrupt our democracy. What happened was Hillary's not going away, as we know. And I'm not going to say it every day that we talk about Hillary, but we we also are aware of the fact that she thinks she's running again in 2020. Mark my words. She thinks she's running again in 2020. 
And it sounds, people are telling me now I'm crazy. Some people say, no, Buck, you're right. But that's the only way they can turn back the clock on Trump and pretend like it never happened is if they give Hillary that ability to shatter the glass ceiling the way that she said she would. Uh, and she could shatter it with her voice, actually. That is probably a thing that she could she could accomplish. So she's saying that she's an impediment to Russia. She's still out there talking about how Russia wants to interfere in our democracy. Uh, notice how in this whole in this whole theory that Hillary puts out there, she was such a a a daft and uh, and dangerous opponent for I don't know if daft is really the right word there. Let's just go with it. A dangerous opponent for uh, Vladimir Putin. No, daft is not the right word. Just just drop that one. Uh, a dangerous opponent for Putin because. She is so much more capable than Trump. Meanwhile, what we saw for years of Obama's, um, yeah, daft is stupid. So that actually did make sense. But let's just, that wasn't the way I meant it at the time. Anyway, for years of Obama's time in office, uh, Putin put on a foreign policy clinic and was showing uh, Obama what happens when you don't actually enforce red lines, when you don't have a foreign policy that emboldens allies and puts the bad guys on notice, you have the opposite of that. So I think that this is one of these cases where the Hillary narrative is completely and utterly self-serving, but also Democrats are going to have a hard time with it because, you know, she's going to want to continue to be in the center of things. And I don't know how useful she is for them anymore. And that's true on Russia and going into these elections, because I also remember when when claiming that there was any threat to our elections integrity, when Hillary was destined to win, of course, claiming there was any threat to our election integrity was was tantamount to being some kind of a traitor. Now it's, you know, we, we can talk about how Basically, we can't trust election results unless the Democrat wins out in the open. I mean, this is a discussion that we can just have whenever we want. And Hillary not only is making the Russia intrusion into this election a possible point of of conversation, but also getting involved with the whole Kavanaugh thing, which is, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think what the word is. Uh, It's not really laughable because it's also rage inducing. Um, But Hillary is for sure a very poor messenger for all these things with Kavanaugh. Here's what here's what she said about it. Um, Play clip 10 first. Have we learned anything over the years about due process, not just for the accusers, but also for the accused? Well, I think that you have to take each of these situations sort of on their own uh, merits and What we have today is a process that has been rushed, that has been deliberately uh, opaque, uh, where information that the Congress, not just Democratic senators, but all senators and the public deserve to see that they were denied. Well, were they denied it because that was respecting the wishes of the victim or they denied it because they're being you know, underhanded here. I mean, they, they change the narrative so quickly. There's such a palpable, obvious desperation in all this anti-Kavanaugh stuff because you just go to what they said yesterday and they're saying a different thing today. They, they don't care. They're, they're, tr- they're running on sheer ferocity of their rage and emotional opposition to this. 
There is no intellectual depth to their argument. There's no consistency. There's no honesty. It's just, we hate Kavanaugh. Ah! That's what they've got. And Hillary is the perfect spokesperson for that, in a sense. Um, and and then, so, so with Kavanaugh, you know, she's saying due process. Uh, it's been rushed. So due process means let's extend this uh, BS allegation out as far as we can, as long as we can. So Kavanaugh doesn't maybe get on the Supreme Court and his family has to endure this nightmare. That's what she thinks due process means. No, no, no. Due process means that this woman doesn't get to write the rules as she goes along. Of course, Hillary thinks that she should be able to do whatever she wants in that regard. Uh, she deserves the benefit of the doubt is putting it mildly. Play 11. I remember back in the Thomas hearings when uh, Senator Byrd uh, was asked uh, what he was going to do. And he, and he said, in a situation like this, we should give the benefit of the doubt to the court and the country. And, and that's what the Republicans should be doing right now, from the White House down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Senate. Give the benefit of the doubt to the court and the country. And that means have a an investigation that will then lead to a hearing that will then lead to a vote if appropriate. That's just idiocy. What she's trying to do there is suggest that the benefit of the doubt for the country is the benefit of the doubt for the accuser demanding an investigation on her terms, on her timeline. This is a crock. This is a, a pile of uh, a pile of refuse. The other words are like some days I do wish I could say salty language on the radio. Not allowed. I know. And some of you get very mad at me. What have you got mad at me for saying genitalia on the air? Folks, that is a scientific term. I, I that's not a prurient thing to say. That's just what it is. I, you know, there's other there's a lot of other more interesting words that I could have used. Uh, but but H H Hillary Getting involved in this discussion is just great. I mean, the fact that she's going on Maddow, which is now the biggest single left wing show on on cable news uh, to make these points just goes to show you that, you know, they they want to use Hillary because they're not really sure yet what to do with her. And Hillary has this army of consultants that we're all planning on, you know, feasting off of the in the public trough for eight years of Hillary's presidency. They haven't gone anywhere. They don't know what to do with Hillary quite yet. Um they also know that if she gets too involved in these conversations, remember, President Trump has very wisely said, all right, you know, let this play out. Let the accuser. He's not he's not the guy that we need to fight on this one. And he knows it. The GOP, the overall GOP, including some never Trumpers in the GOP are united on this because they know this is a hit, a political hit against Kavanaugh. And we need to stand up against it and prevail. So Hillary, I think, is helping our side more than the other. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourselves, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Folks, as you know, everything is stored online these days. That includes your home's title. And domestic and international cyber thieves hunt American homeowners because we've got a lot of equity in our homes and they use it to borrow your money. What they do is they take your home's title and replace it with an alias, then borrow every penny they can using your home's equity. You won't know about this scam until you get late payment notices and identity theft programs and insurance policies don't protect you. 
Home Title Lock does. It performs a virtual perimeter around your home for just pennies a day. Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a hundred dollar value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com again. HomeTitleLock.com. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. You are now entering the Freedom Hub Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. With North Korea, uh, we have made uh, steady, albeit uh, slow progress. Uh, but it's always we've always known this was going to take some time. The South Koreans had a, a successful engagement, uh, President Moon with Chairman Kim, just over the last 48 hours, uh, where we made another step where we will get verification of an element of North Korea's program on the ground. That's a good thing. We're, we're moving forward. The relationship between Chairman Kim and President Trump is good. Um, I talk to my counterparts there with some frequency. It doesn't get reported. I'm glad about that. I'm glad we're able to keep that quiet. And so we're making the progress that we need. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo giving an update there to uh, Laura Ingram on what's going on with North Korea. You know, this is one of these situations where I, I keep seeing headlines that I think to myself, well, well that, that, that can't be right. I mean, that's why, why would that be the case? I keep seeing things that are are negative about this whole process. And then I get I, I dig a little deeper into it. I, I do some research. I find out, well, they're just trying to prejudge it. They're looking for a way to make this a negative story already, because you got to remember, folks, there are some things that the left, they don't like and they have a tough time with, but it's not going to completely force them to lose their minds uh, when it comes to what Trump and his administration can do. They will make excuses for why Trump's economy is so strong. They'll say, oh, it's just tax breaks for the rich or, oh, it's, you know, corporatism run amok. I mean, there are ways that they can try to come up with a narrative that offset the reality of what Trump has accomplished by saying that there's some downside to it. But on foreign policy, which is really supposed to be the province of leftist elites, uh, they really believe because they have a more internationalist worldview, they've taken over most of the international relations and advanced studies programs and the State Department is a nest of progressives. They think that their way and their approach must be the most effective. And then it's it's an area where longstanding decades of expertise, you know, either toiling away in cubicles at the State Department or elsewhere uh, or you know, living abroad and getting to know some of the people in the embassy community. They think that's the only way you can have a breakthrough. If Trump and his team manage to solve the North Korean ongoing nuclear crisis, I don't know what liberals will do with themselves. Uh, And that is quite an indictment of what the liberal mindset is about a major national security issue. But I do think it's important for us to really understand just how anti-Trump they are. They're so anti-Trump. And I mean a lot of lifelong diplomats. I mean people that work in foreign policy circles. 
that you can tell that they're rooting for disaster here, certainly for failure and maybe much worse than failure when it comes to these nuclear negotiations with North Korea. Keep in mind, we've been told all along, folks, that there was nothing to be gained here. Trump has made such a fool of himself. It was a photo op. That's what the media was saying. Meanwhile, let's just remember this. When was the last time North Korea fired a missile into the Sea of Japan, sent it over Japan? When was the last time North Korea engaged in not just behavior that allows them to, scientifically speaking, advance their program, but behavior that is clearly and intentionally meant to be threatening, not just to North Korea's neighbors, including South Korea, Japan, you know, other allies in the region, but to us. When was the last time they fired off a missile? Oh, that's right. It's been about a year, my friends. And Trump's approach to North Korea has coincided with the cessation of those missile tests. So start with that. Uh, and what have we given them in exchange? So far, nothing other than the ability to talk. Sanctions are all still in place. In fact, sanctions have gotten stronger against North Korea, and we are holding the Chinese accountable for trying to evade those sanctions, particularly on the high seas. You'll have Chinese uh, vessels that will try and you know change their flags and engage in all kinds of shenanigans so that they can economically benefit from North Korean black market trade. We're holding them accountable for it. We are keeping all the pressure in place on North Korea, but leaving open the possibility of a future that does not that does not involve the imminent threat of a major military uh, exchange. I mean, major military hostilities that could result in in within minutes. I mean, within a, a matter of hours for certain hundreds of thousands of people dead. And that's just involving conventional munitions. So that's how serious the standoff is on the Korean Peninsula. And I think that this this story that I'm about to give you a little update on here. Yes, we had Pompeo saying that we're making some progress. There's some thought that by 2021, if it all goes as according to plan, uh, then we will have a, a truly denuclearized uh, North Korea. That's if everything goes according to plan, it may not. But here's a story that I think is worth noting. South Korean President Moon Jae-in just returned from Pyongyang. Okay, this just happened this week. He just returned from Pyongyang, where he spoke to an audience of 150,000 North Koreans and said, quote, we had lived together for 5,000 years, but apart for just 70 years. Uh, citizens of Pyongyang, fellow Koreans is how he addressed them. Here at this place today, I propose we move forward toward the big picture of peace in which the past 70 year long hostility can be eradicated and we can become one again. Now, this is the third time that uh, Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in have met to talk about this uh, denuclearization proposal that the Trump administration is spearheading. OK, and this is the first time that a meeting has taken place outside the DMZ. So we had the president of South Korea going up to the capital of North Korea for talks with the North Korean leader. And there is some real reason to see this as moving in the right direction. It's nothing yet until action is taken, right? It doesn't matter until there's something we can point to and say that is solid. That is real. That has happened. Um, and, you know, there is a discussion, though, between the two Koreas right now about uh, establishing new communication channels 
uh, new economic ties that would have railways and roads, uh, a special tourism zone. So they're trying to create greater connectivity. And the North Korean leadership and Kim Jong-un has said that they're willing to dismantle a major nuclear facility if the U.S. takes corresponding steps. Now, I understand a huge sticking point here is going to be that North Korea wants us to take our troops out of South Korea. And that is, uh, frankly and flatly, unacceptable. That cannot happen because that would be a massive victory for North Korea where the ability to intimidate and, uh, and, and bully South Korea would be much greater than it is now. They wouldn't have the fear of a major uh, U.S. military response the same way if they decided to, for example, become a conventional uh, engage in some kind of conventional incursion against South Korea. And then they would try to create a situation where they could have a lightning strike into South Korea, a military strike, and tell the U.S., look, you really want to get involved here? You really want this to be your problem? Because we got nukes. So we can't remove U.S. troops from South Korea. And I think that's going to be where this may look. It all may come crumbling down. But there are positive signs right now. And Secretary of State Pompeo is on it. And I am telling you right now, I think there is a chance that President Trump will be the one to solve the crisis on the Korean Peninsula. And it will be a fantastic thing for all Korean speaking people, for the region, for the world. And liberals will absolutely hate it. If you've ever found yourself wincing at the weak sauce taste of coffee from one of those left-leaning commie corporate brands, you probably thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training, bathroom policy reform, and other things that defy common sense, and more time on their coffee. That's why you need Black Rifle Coffee. Folks, this is just simply delicious coffee. Start with that, okay? I am a coffee snob in that I only want the best, the most delicious stuff. And I'm telling you, Black Rifle Coffee is as good as anything you're going to get anywhere. Better than a lot of that frou-frou European, oh, look at me, measuring the size of the foam on the latte cup. You want Black Rifle Coffee. It also means you're supporting veterans and a great American patriotic company. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order, folks. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. I hope everybody listening to this show makes Black Rifle their coffee of choice every day, each day, just like me. President Trump's been very clear since the time he was running for office that the arrangement that the previous administration put in place was bad for America, frankly, bad for the world. And so I and uh, uh, Brian are working to get Iran to behave like a normal nation, right? Stop being the world's largest state sponsor of terror. Stop launching missiles through proxies. Stop attacking our embassies and consulates. When we get those basic things in place, uh, President Trump's made very clear. Uh, we'd love Iran to rejoin the community of nations, but their revolutionary zeal uh, causes them to be a bad actor and they need to shape up. And if they do, we'll get it right. Secretary Kerry can't seem to get off the stage. And you have to. It's one thing to meet with your counterpart. It's another thing to do with Secretary Kerry, Wendy Sherman, Ernest Moniz, frankly, the whole gang has done, which is to actively seek to undermine what President Trump is trying to achieve. It's okay to talk with them, but you have to be working for America, working for American foreign policy. And they're not. They're, they're working for the foreign policy that is theirs, not the one that belongs to the United States. And they are not only unhelpful, but they are acting in ways that are harmful to achieving what's best for the American people. And that's, that's my criticism. Uh, stop it. Let it go. 
you had your day. Uh, we, we think you fundamentally got it wrong with Iran, and we're trying to make it right for America. Former Secretary of State uh, John Kerry doesn't understand the former part, as we've discussed here on the show. And that was actual Secretary of State Pompeo taking him to task on it, saying that Kerry and some other former Obama administration officials as well. You mentioned Moniz, uh, who's the guy who was from uh, Department of Energy. I mean, other people who are doing their own kind of fly-by-night stealth shadow foreign diploma, uh, diplomacy stuff. And it's, it's something that if a Republican uh, cabal from a former administration were doing this to the Obama administration, could you imagine, folks? Could you imagine if Don Rumsfeld and Condoleezza Rice were going to have meetings during the Obama administration with the Assad regime, for example, and say, hey, you know, here's how you here's how you play it. So Obama does or does not take action in Syria. The media would have lost their mind and and honestly, rightfully so. But they're pretty silent on this one. They don't really have a lot to offer up on this particular foreign policy run by individuals, run by private citizens. This obvious Logan Act violation. Now, I think the Logan Act is garbage and shouldn't exist, but the Logan Act was the pretext for Sally Yates as acting attorney general and before that deputy attorney general to go and have a meeting at the White House where or, or send people over to the White House rather to try and entrap General Flynn. And now Flynn is going to be sentenced, I believe, in mid-December for lying as a result of that. She sprung a trap for him using the Logan Act. I mean, this is how filthy, dirty the Democrats play the game of politics, as we know. Um, But the Iranian regime is not lashing out in ways that we were told they were. The Iranian regime is is not finding ways to make America uh, feel like, you know, we're the ones on the losing end of this proposition. No, we've stopped the nonsense. We've put back in place more sanctions. We're, we're walking away from the Obama administration's uh, nuclear arrangement with the Iranians, which was the a deal so good for the Iranians, they must have been shocked at their good fortune that they had somebody so inept like President Obama and his team negotiating this whole thing. And Pompeo's like, they need to stop. They didn't know what they were doing. Step aside. Let us do what we are doing now because we're the ones who are in charge. It's it's just refreshing to have somebody who's not going to tiptoe around the issue. John Kerry, I would note, thinks he's running for president in 2020. That's right. John Kerry, they're going to retread that the Democrats, because it's really just all about their power structure. They they are going to try to put back people that are at the top of that hierarchy, even though they've already been rejected by the American people because they don't have anything else right now to offer up. And I think you're going to see Kerry try to poke around and maybe run again. I think you might see uh, Hillary, as we've been discussing. Hello. She might be out there trying to run again and some others as well. Uh, But Pompeo had other interesting things to say. And he's one of my top uh, top of my list for interviews. I'm going to try to get down here in the swamp pretty soon. Obviously, we had that great sit down with the president earlier this week. Spent almost an hour just picking the president's brain. It it was fascinating. It was a really worthwhile experience. And I'm I'm fortunate to have been able to have it. Uh, Also makes me more certain than ever that this president is the right man for this time. In, in every way that I can think of uh, that matters. Maybe not in his personal decorum all the time, but that doesn't matter. 
Russia and China came up in Pompeo's discussion, though. I thought this was particularly interesting. Play 17. Russia has been aggressive. Russia has tried to meddle in our election. Uh, Russia, under Vladimir Putin, remains a a, a bully. Uh, We need to push back and constrain them where we can. But longer term, if you're looking at the things that threaten American livelihoods, that put America truly at risk of its continued economic growth, China presents the far greater threat to the United States. Who does Secretary of State Pompeo sound like there, folks? I'm just I'm just saying, give your man buck. You spend your time with me here. Who does he sound like? Who's been saying that for the last six months, really the last year, that China is a way more important national security and economic threat than Russia, and it's not even close. Now, this is becoming more apparent because we are not in the grips of quite the same degree of Russia collusion fever because the media is like, oh, they may find out that we made this whole thing up. What are we going to do? Uh, so they've laid off it a little bit. But this is uh, for, for our foreign policy going forward. The focus needs to be on China and really thinking of North Korea as part of the China problem set. The same way that any solution in Afghanistan, where I would note we have no solution really in sight, but the, the solution would have to in- include Pakistan and really India along with it. Uh, a solution for our problems with China are going to involve North Korea and vice versa. Uh, so you should think of those as, as a connected problem set. And uh, the Russia versus China comparison is one that we should remember because it also goes to show you that the foreign policy elites in the media have been so happy to tout Putin as this major threat. I mean, the Russian economy is like a... It's like a, a fraction, a tenth of the American economy. It's, it's, it's barely a blip on the radar. China, it's got a big economy. A lot of stuff going on there. Um, and then I also, you know, I asked President Trump on, uh, during our, our interview about the deep state. He said he doesn't like the term because it's conspiratorial. But then you had this video that came out with James O'Keefe talking about, or, or not talking about, but playing audio that we've played on the show, some of it, of these different... Uh, people at federal agencies who are taking it upon themselves to be hashtag resistance fighters inside the bureaucracy. Here's what State Department's a particularly egregious place for this, folks. Here's what Secretary of State Pompeo said about it. 18. Rest assured, um, we're aware of it and we're taking a good look at it. Uh, but step back for just a minute. Here's, here's my commitment to President Trump and to the American people. Every single person working at the United States Department of State will be on President Trump's mission. We all have good ideas. We'll all share them. We'll give our best thoughts. But at the end of the day, we have a single foreign policy that we're executing, and it's the foreign policy that President Trump is directing. And I want every person all across the United States government to understand that he's our leader. If this is a mission on which you can't sign up for, uh, it's time to go do something else with your time. Uh, thank, thank you for your service, but uh, we, we need to be delivering for this president. Absolutely. I've, I've said all along, I, I put it in writing, uh, wrote a column when Pompeo was going up for confirmation that, that this guy is, is a star in this administration and he's aligned with the president. He understands how to get the fight done bureaucratically and he understands who our enemies and allies are. Uh, I'm very impressed so far with Pompeo. So uh, I have, I would say uh, I, I, am, I am cautiously optimistic that he's going to get some very big things done under this administration. Got more coming up, team. Stay with me. Diversity is our strength, they say. The left 
has repeated this line, this mantra, so many times at this point that I can just begin to say it and you can all finish it, right? Diversity is our strength. That's a meaningless phrase, but one that brings with it a lot of political baggage, as you know. And when it's implemented, when leftists actually are forced to live with the consequences of diversity-infused policies, all of a sudden they have some questions about this notion that it is inherently our strength. And I would just like to point you to the ongoing saga in my hometown, New York City, where in one of the most liberal places in the entire country, in many ways, a, a, a mecca, a, a heartland of progressivism, Brooklyn, there is this massive feud playing out, but largely behind closed doors, about the diversity push in the school district. This includes, for those of you who know anything about New York, an area known as Park Slope. Park Slope is where you live if you are a super hip, liberal, New York Times culture writer. I mean, you live in Park Slope if you're such a hipster that you don't even think that hipster is a term anymore. I mean, it's just a place where you can assume about 95% of the residents are voting Democrat, and it's very left-wing, very preachy about its progressivism. Think of it kind of like San Francisco on the East Coast. That gives you a pretty good sense of just how progressive, how left-wing we're talking about. But the schools there, as is often the case, when there is any kind of a system based on merit uh, in place, there's a tremendous amount of disparity in the public schools because they have this system where you have uh, the top performing students get their choice of certain schools. And guess what? Those schools have high test scores and high performing students because they're taking high performing students. And those schools are disproportionately white and Asian. The schools where you take a test or where people don't want to go, rather, after they've taken this test, the schools that are lower on the list of uh, people's desires tend to be more African-American and Latino in this part of Brooklyn. And so what has Mayor Bill, Bill de Blasio, also known as Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio, hello everyone, guten Tag, yeah, de Blasio. What has he decided to do? Well, a radical diversity plan for the schools. De Blasio said, quote, you can feel in the air in this city, momentum for diversity is growing. Well, not so much. Because, quote, some parents have expressed concern that in a lottery, their high achieving fifth graders could lose their top choices. Some also worry teachers will have trouble adjusting to classes of children with a broader band of ability level. This is for people applying to middle school. It's going to take effect in 2019. Uh, and here's, here's what you find out about this, folks. People, when they are forced to live with the consequences of their political ideology, uh, have questions about it. And, and behind closed doors, there's been a lot of pushback from parents who don't want their kids to be the ones who have to go to schools that will have half of the seats. This is the plan. Instead of it being based on a test and, and any kind of uh, merit, merit-based system by academic achievement, 
It's going to be a lottery system. So just luck of the draw, folks. And on top of that, so the lottery system kids get to pick whatever school they want. You also will have half of the uh, seats in the classroom reserved for underperforming uh, and and uh, Spanish-speaking students, uh, or lower-performing, I should say, and Spanish-speaking students and low-income students. This is, I can guarantee you, going to result in a change in test scores and a change. And we all know this, right? We're not, for some reason, we're not supposed to say that, but we all know it because that's what's going to happen. And these parents in this very liberal part of New York City, and I'm telling you, this experiment would be replicated in any other major city in the country. They're terrified of publicly opposing this plan because they don't want to be racist. And they're so liberal, right? They're the good people. But, oh, wait a second, the liberal good people that are all about diversity, they're not so sure that for them, diversity like this would be such a good thing and certainly not for their kids and their educations. Hmm. It's almost like liberals live in some kind of alternative reality where the facts don't matter. It's all about taking positions that make you feel good about yourself, but not having to actually live with the consequences of those positions well not this time enjoy liberals in park slope enjoy liberty truth and great hair feel those funky beats It's time for Roll Call. Let's get right to it, because some of you have pointed out in other Roll Call messages that I like to say, all right, Roll Call, and then do other things. And you get frustrated because you've written me messages, and this is your time, team. So with that, we have Leanna, who writes, The Dems are busy chasing a 35-year-old fake story to damage Kavanaugh, but they're ignoring a very recent complaint against Keith Ellison. Oh, but he's a Democrat, so it doesn't count. Uh, Liana, you are absolutely correct. Uh, they are so hypocritical that it would make your head spin, but this is the way the Democrats do things. And I have to be honest with you, I don't see them changing anytime soon, so we need to keep calling it out, but also understand that this is what we are up against. Uh, you know, Keith Ellison has the benefit from the leftist perspective of being a minority as well as being useful to the democratic party so he gets judged by a different set of rules and that's just the way that it is gary writes love your podcast the other day you mentioned an alternative to google or another leftist search engine maybe it was an alternative to facebook i can't find it but could you please send it to me thanks shields high gary well gary that is a sponsored uh, uh, one of our sponsors here on the show, it's called Snippy. Snippy.com is the site, and you can uh, you can sign up for free. And as I said, they're one of our sponsors. They're a new social media site. Uh, we have Matt, who writes, Buck, gotta love the hut. You also gotta love the left's technique of they did it, pointing a finger at their opposition and preemptively accusing the right of what the left are actually guilty of. Uh, it's evil genius. It takes away the ability of their opposition from fingering them for their crimes. The right would look like they're saying, no, they did it. 
This takes away the force of the truth and reduces the right's effectiveness of the real debate. This keeps the right on their heels and prevents them from offensive attacks. Am I close? Thanks for all you do. Shields high and kiss Miss Molly for me from Matt. Um, and P.S. Hate using partisan terms as identifiers for good and evil people in America. Uh, Matt, I'll send Miss Molly a uh, some Bezos or some Beezes because she is in Paris right now for work. So I am sans Miss Molly for the week, uh, much to my chagrin, including the weekend, which is unusual. So I'm just going to be in full on bachelor mode here. I'm going to order in some really unhealthy takeout food and just rack and stack books and Netflix. And that's going to be my weekend. And I'm going to get to the gym. Um, I'm losing some of my, uh, losing a little bit of pep in my step right now from where I was. I, I got into a great rhythm about two years ago and was hitting the gym a legitimate four times a week. I mean, an honest four times lifting and got down to, you know, a 32 inch waist and was seeing ab muscles and the whole thing. And since then, you know, freedom isn't free and someone's got to spread it and it's tiring and it makes you hungry. And I haven't had much time to get to the gym and it's unfortunately starting to show. So I'm going to get back. Look, the struggle's real, folks. The fight against the dad bod. I got to be a dad that I can actually proudly sport the dad bod. Uh, I'm looking forward to that day. Angela writes, hey, Buck, is it true you're going to be in Vegas the first week of October? If true, would love to attend public events you may have as well as because uh, uh, I will be there at a conference. Any events you can share, love your history lessons. Sincerely, uh, Angela, uh, the heart of Texas. P.S. The South and Southwest have a blanket approval for you to say y'all whatever you want. Well, Angela, you are very, very sweet. Thank you for the note. I am. So a, a couple things that I've got coming up that I can tell you about. One is I'm going to be at the uh, Stansbury conference in Vegas for the first couple of days of October. So that's the first, the second, and the third. Uh, and then I'm going to be out in Orange County, California on Thursday, October 4th at an event by Freedom Frontline, which you can check out online as well. That's open to the public. The event in Orange County, California on October 4th is open to the public. Anyone can go. You just purchase tickets. You go to freedomfrontline.com. The Stansbury event, I believe, is sold out, uh, and the tickets are uh, quite... Uh, steep anyway, but you can go to investorhour.com if you want more information or stansburyvegas.com if you want more information on that. And any of you who can make it, it would be great to see you there. I wish I could say that I was going to be hanging out at a, a barbecue joint like I plan to do one day in, in Texas and in, in Austin and just see whoever comes by, but I'm going to be, com I'm completely booked up with, uh, different events and yeah, what do you call it when you all sit and you talk on a panel there you go things like that when i'm in vegas uh, but the speech in california for those of you who are in orange county or if you live if you live in california in general and you want to come it's going to be a great night it's got a luau theme so i gotta oh that reminds me i've got to get a hawaiian shirt uh, it's got a luau theme we're gonna have a really fun time a lot of patriots gathered together freedom frontline just uh, check out that organization you'll see the event uh, will be posted there October 4th at the at a country club. I'm forgetting. I'll, I'll, I'll give you more details tomorrow on Friday. I know I'm such a I'm not doing a great job uh, giving you all the details right now, but it's been a long it's been a long day, team, as it often is. But and Angela, thank you so much for uh, sending me the note. Hannah writes, hi, Buck, your podcasts are a staple for me every day over here in Israel. Team Buck, Israel in the house. 
Love your integrity and knowledge. I've been trying to watch Rising without getting frustrated, though. You certainly try not to get frustrated, and I don't know how you do it. I think if you didn't have the outlet of your radio show and your podcast, you couldn't do Rising. At what point does being gentlemanly start to work against doing your goals for the show? Hannah, it's a very valid point, and I can tell you that some of the people closest to me in the whole world have raised exactly what you have, which is the only reason that I can get up every morning and try and speak to uh, the other side and not lose my cool. And I, I think I have to be very patient often with some of the guests and, and some of what I have to deal with in general. Uh, the only reason I can do it is because I get to talk to all of you at night and there's no filter and there's no worry about being polite. So you are correct. This is a necessary balance for trying to do a both sides of the aisle show. It's very tricky. There's a reason people don't do it. It's a lot easier to just be within your side and have guests that uh, agree with you or or to have guests on you're just going to pummel and try to crush. We don't do either of those things, which is hard. Uh, but I would say that it's expanding, maybe expanding my horizons. I was going to say my skill set, but I'm not sure that's really true. It's expanding my horizons, though, whatever that means. And uh, Hannah, you are you are very astute. I can tell you that, and your your observation is is right on point. And thank you for listening to the podcast out in Israel. Charles writes, uh, I have some interesting dirt on Tiger Woods about his breakup with his wife. Okay, Charles, thanks for sending me that. Um, but I think I have to leave that there because you don't have any additional details. John writes, hey, Buck, every time you do Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez impression, I die laughing because it sounds a lot like our Senator Ben Sass or Ben's ass, as we call him in Nebraska. Even his statements sound like a question because his voice increases in pitch as he ends almost every phrase. Shields high. Johnny, well, is that really true? Like, does Ben Sass like really end every sentence? Does he kind of go up and does he up talk? And is that something that he does? I got to tell you something. If you have kids, one of the biggest things you can do to help them in later life in their career when it comes to the way that they speak, do not allow people to get in the habit of up talking. Uh, I don't know if that's what we even I, there might be a better term for it than that. I don't know. But you know it when you hear it. So I went to the store and I saw this other person. And then he was also going to this other place. And then I was also going to this other thing. And like, you know, it's it undermines everything that you say. It's also true that people get in the habit of saying like and I mean too much. Although that might have been more my in my youth. I don't know what the kids say now. I, I have basically zero interaction with people under the age of, you know, 20 something. I mean, I, I never, I never talk to kids. I never see kids. I don't really ever see babies. Uh, the only baby I ever see is Miss Molly's nephew. So he's very cute, by the way. Anita writes, was listening to your show today on the way home from work. You talked about a new social media site, but I forgot the name. Can you help my feeble memory? Uh, Anita, it is again, snippy.com. They are a sponsor of the show. Uh, and Karen writes, Hi, Buck. Just want to clarify the slogan that Barack Obama used. What he really meant was that he could hope the next election or we could hope the next election would bring change. Uh, love listening to your podcast and always the best. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate you writing in. Uh, Eric writes, Buck, you tossed, I talked about vegans on your last show. Currently, I eat meat on occasion, but in general, I typically eat vegan. 
was full vegan, if that's a thing, in college as a personal experiment because I thought it was so crazy. It went so well, I couldn't go back to meat and potatoes Midwest-style diet. I ran daily, lifted regularly, road crew, did parkour, and never felt better in my life. Amazing physical changes for me. You want to blow your friends' minds? Be the vegan that is perfectly fine skinning deer after hunting. That raises eyebrows. This is my story. Others are different. Well, Eric, it's a very interesting story, man. I, I don't I don't uh, know that many vegans that have had a similar experience. I just don't think I could go vegan. I already have a restricted diet because of celiac disease. So I don't know if I could add something else into it. You know, as somebody who already has to treat bread like it's radioactive material. Sometimes when Miss Molly's mad at me, she says she's going to flower bomb me and just throw flour at me because she knows that it's like kryptonite. But that's a story for another time. I'm excited to be with you all Friday. We'll have, we'll have some fun tomorrow, assuming the news cycle's not too crazy, although I think it might be. But we'll have fun nonetheless. Thank you so much for being here, team. Until next time, Shields High.